1: Welcome in to yet another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. And check out our episode from yesterday from Eric Reed, the television voice of the Miami Heat, telling some Heat stories from way back in the day during the franchise's origins. And of course, you can go back through all of our episodes on iTunes or. On Google Play today, we are joined by Tim Bontemps, who covers the NBA for the Washington Post. and He's kind enough to join us here on the podcast. Tim, thanks for doing it. And we wanted to cover sort of a variety of things around the NBA. But we have to start with the big news from over the weekend, the Golden State Warriors. We find you today in San Francisco. And obviously, the big talking point is Steph Curry, his injury, and Steve Curry revealing that he'll likely miss the first round of the playoffs. This whole season has been kind of a weird one from Golden State's point of view because they kind of really only get up for the playoffs. And it's kind of been a malaise over the, over the season of the Golden State Warriors. I say this, of course, despite the fact they have one of the league's best records and they're still near the top of the league. But what is this season and now the injuries portended for, for Golden State heading into the postseason?
0: I think the, the main thing to think about when you think about the Warriors is the fact that everyone is bored of the Warriors now, kind of like the end of the run in Miami in ways for LeBron and kind of what the situation for LeBron in Cleveland is now. So rather than looking at the obvious situation, which is that even if Steph misses the first round of the playoffs or even a little bit of the second round, the Warriors still have a better combination of three players in Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green than any other team in the league. This is the whole reason they went and got Kevin Durant in the first place was in 2016, when staff got banged up, they didn't have quite enough to get over the finish line, and so when they had a chance to add a fourth All Star, even though they won 73 games in a row or 73 games that season, set the record, they said, "Hey, look, if we have a fourth guy, then if we have a fluke injury that happens during the playoffs, we have enough depth that we can still win a championship." And I was—I mean, I was there yesterday when Steve said he was going to miss the first round. I don't really see why that became such a big deal when they announced that Steph, you know, had the grade two MCL sprain, that's a 46 week injury. And they said he was going to be reevaluated in three weeks while the playoffs started three weeks from Saturday, start three weeks from Saturday. So to think that he was just going to walk back in after not doing anything in three weeks and play in game one of the playoffs, I thought was kind of foolish to begin with. So I think Steve just kind of stated the obvious that he's not going to be back. Wouldn't shock me if, he could play in four weeks, and maybe he plays the tail end of the first round, if you know. And then there's no pressure on him to do that. But at the end of the day, Golden State still, like I said, has a three man core, even without Steph, that's better than any team in the league. And I still think, as long as they have at least three of those guys healthy, and he comes back sometime in the second round, I don't see any reason to change them from the position they've been in really since Kevin got there, which is as the, the clear favorites to win another title.
2: Well I I think the thing about it Tim is they they've been through this before where they've had to sort of nurse Steph back to back to health during the playoffs so it's not the first time for them. The bigger question I have I, I don't I can't argue with you when you say that they they still would have the th- you know the best three man combination in the league and certainly when Curry's healthy it's not even a question whether they have the best four man combination. I, the question I had about the Warriors this year and I don't know if if you think this will come into play in the playoffs is their depth. It doesn't seem at least from afar that they have quite as many options as they've had there before. But again, I don't know if in the postseason that matters all that much when your top four are as overwhelming as they are. How do you think, uh, when when Curry is healthy, how do you think they handled the rotation in the postseason this year?
0: Well, I do think, Ethan, that their depth has been a problem in a lot of ways. I mean, they, they signed Nick Young. That has not really worked out very well for them. Andrew Godal has played better lately, but has not looked good. Sean Livingston has played a little better lately, but has not looked as good. Um, you know, those guys are getting older. Uh, Pat McCaw has taken a step back this year. Jordan Bell's given them some minutes, but, you know, Zaza Paccioli's taken a step back. David West has been good for them, but a lot of their role players have not been great. But the thing is, when you're in the playoffs and you can play, you know, even if Steph's not there, you're playing those other three guys 40 minutes each a game, there's not a lot of minutes you got to fill in. David West is going to give them somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes a night of really good play at center. Jordan Bell is probably going to give them another 15 minutes a night at center. Zazak could bang on somebody for a while. I mean, they they can find minutes there, and they've got enough guys. You know, they can have Nick Young space the floor. He has played a little better lately. McCaw can give them a little bit of minutes. Livingston could give them minutes. Iwad is going to give them minutes. I mean, they, they have enough, I think, that, that they're going to be fine this year. But I will be curious to see what they do in the offseason because – with the salary cap shrinking the way it is this summer, there's going to be a lot of guys looking for money that are going to be surprised not to get it. And I think a team like golden state could really benefit from that. And that they could say to guys, Hey, look, there's going to be a lot of cap space a year from now. If you come sign here for the minimum, you can win a title and play a bunch of minutes for us. And then you'll get a bunch of money next summer. And I have a feeling that kind of like those heat teams you guys saw, I think they could have a few guys roll in on cheap contracts this summer like what David West has done the last couple of years, and really give them a boost to that depth, which I agree with you has been a problem this year.
1: To me, the thing when you look at this this Warrior situation is I don't agree with the idea that if Curry is not fully healthy or even operating at 80%, which for me, there's a bigger concern about once you get into the latter stages, what kind of Curry you're going to see, because we saw... Two years ago, like you mentioned, Tim, when he wasn't fully healthy, they didn't have enough to get over the line, and he didn't have enough to get over the line, but I really, sure. think, I, I really think that this Houston team does present something that's unique, and you know, even that Oklahoma City team that had you know, Durant and Westbrook, they were 3-1 up on Golden State, I think the team has proven that it's not totally unbeatable. And I think what you saw last year was more that the rest of the league kind of became pushovers. They didn't really face you know too many stiff competitions. Obviously, they they saw a little bit of it in that series against the Spurs before Kawhi got hurt, and they were kind of being pushed to the brink a little bit. I don't think they were pushed that much last season their first year with Durant. Now, Houston has kicked on. I think whoever they face in round one is not going to be a total pushover. If it's Utah, I mean, Utah's been really good for half a season now. I don't think it's going to be just as simple as you swat them away, and I really think that Houston cannot stop winning when they are healthy, and even, you know, Chris Paul's missed their last three games, but I think that they present such a unique challenge. They're already five games up on the Warriors, and, and this is regular season, I, I understand, and we'll get to kind of their playoff reps, but I think Houston presents a unique challenge that would give the Warriors a real series if they're missing one of those guys. I mean, and even if they're fully healthy.
0: The Warriors are four or five games worse than Houston, and have played at 70% all season, and Houston has played at 110% all season to try to win home court advantage in the playoffs. That is not to knock the Rockets, who have had a great year in our great team, and I think clearly the second-best team in the league. But again, this goes back to what I said at the beginning. People are trying to find reasons to think Golden State's going to lose. And the fact is, they are still, to me, very heavy favorites to win. They went through the first half of the season up to the all-star break in total cruise control. Right. And their plan was to get to the all-star break. There was about 25 games after that and then kick on to the playoffs. Right. That they were going to like have do what they did last year, close strong, go into the playoffs, feeling good and go through the playoffs and win a title. Well, basically from the moment the the post all-star break schedule started, they've had one injury after another and they haven't been able to do that. So, I get why – like, look, Houston's really good. And like you said, we're going to talk about them in a bit. And I I think if any team does beat them this year, it is Houston. But like I said, the Warriors have not come close to playing for a consistent stretch at full throttle this season. They're still going to have, at worst, the third-best record in the league, probably the second-best record in the league. And they're only going to end up a few games behind Houston, which has gone 110% all season long to try to make sure that they – get that home court advantage in the playoffs, which they clearly from a psychological standpoint will need in that series. So, yeah, look, could Houston beat them in a the series? Sure. But to your point about last year and 2016, the Warriors 2016 beat Durant's Thunder team with Steph not at 100%, and were at the one-yard line to beat the Cavs in what was a great series and would have won in five games if Draymond had lost his mind at the end of game four, even with Steph at less than 100%. Now they have Kevin Durant on their team. So the fact that they have two of the top five players in the league and four of the top 15 players in the league is something we've never seen before. And I think I understand why people are looking for reasons to pick against them because it's boring to just say the Cavs are going to play the Warriors again and the Warriors are going to win, which is what I still believe is going to happen and have since last summer. But the thing about Steph being out is, you know, last year they weren't pushed. You're right about that. But part of the reason they weren't pushed is because they had so much more talent than everybody else. And You know, if Steph is 100 percent, what it does is it puts them in a position they were in 2015 and 16 where they were the best team in the league and they still would be the best team in the league. But it's close enough that if a team like Houston makes 45 percent of its threes in a series or just plays out of its mind in a series, I think they are susceptible to losing to somebody. I just think that the margin for error is even still a lot bigger than a lot of people think.
1: All right, Ethan. Let's move to the Houston Rockets. Do you believe that we are trying to talk
2: ourselves into there being competition where there is none? No, I think the competition is legitimate because of what the Rockets have done when their big three has been together this year. When you look at their record with Harden, Paul, and Capella, all thirty-nine and two. I mean, it's outrageous what um, what they've done. And so, and and you look at that fit between Paul and Harden, which I questioned when they made the trade. You know, two guys who need the ball in their hands a lot. Harden and made the move to point guard. But it's worked pretty seamlessly. D'Antoni's done a great job of staggering them. And they have a lot of role pieces that work in their system. And a lot of guys who can get hot from the outside. I mean, the big difference uh, between the two teams right now that isn't talked about maybe quite as much is, you know, the Warriors are are not as prolific from three as they used to be, at least not in terms of a, a volume situation. Whereas Houston uh, is more so than they've ever been. And, you know, that's the type of thing in, in, a, in a series that, that could carry the Rockets. Um, The thing about the Rockets though, is that there are questions about all of their top three guys. And I don't mean Capella in that, but the sort of the faces of the franchise right now, which is that Chris Paul, James Harden and and Mike D'Antoni have all had varying sets of issues in the playoffs. And, you know, I think with all three of them, it's a little bit unfair, but I wanted to go through this a little bit with you, Tim, you know, you look at D'Antoni's situation, you know, that team that he had in Phoenix, I know all the talk about how they didn't play any defense. That team probably goes to the finals and likely wins the championship that year if they don't have Stoudemire and Boris Diaw come off the bench and everything yep. that happened after after yep. Steve Nash. And, you know, it's since been sort of shown that Steve Nash kind of sold that whole thing. He wasn't even really pushed very hard. And, and, you know, if you don't have the players come off the bench and get suspended, Phoenix likely goes to the finals that year and, and I think probably wins it. So it might be a little bit unfair with him. And, and obviously this team is much better defensively than the Phoenix teams he's coached. The other two guys, Chris Paul, I, I've always felt that the rep with him was unfair. If you look at the New Orleans teams that he had other than David West, there was nothing on those teams. And then, you know, you go to the Clippers situation where we found out after the fact that those three guys didn't all get along all that well, particularly Chris Paul and Blake. But Chris Paul was the guy who carried them past San Antonio playing on a bad ankle to get them to the second round. Uh, was it three years ago? I guess or three or four years ago. Uh, he's played well in the playoffs. I, I don't think he's been an issue. Now, Harden is another story because Harden played, you know, one of the worst series let's that po- I've let's seen. Let's stop. Let's stop there a second. OK, go ahead. I'm
0: very tired of people saying, of defending Chris Paul at all costs.
2: Okay. Chris Paul
0: had a team that lost a game seven at home to the San Antonio Spurs in 2007. You say that team had nobody else on it. They had Pedro Stojakovic on it, who I think might was either an all-star that year or the year before, was still in the prime of his career. They had Tyson Chandler, who was you know emerging as a guy who was going to win a defensive player of the year and anchor a championship team at center. They had a really good team. And they had Game 7 at home, and they lost. Any other player in that position gets killed for that. Hell, Carmelo gets killed for losing to Kobe as a worst team in six games in the Conference Finals, which is a place Chris Paul's never got to. You say that Chris Paul carried the the Clippers past the Spurs. Blake Griffin was the best player in the playoffs, those playoffs. He was better than Chris Paul. And if you go to the series they lost that next round against the Rockets, they were up 18 in Game 6 and imploded and lost in the fourth quarter. And against the Thunder, Chris Paul completely disintegrated at the end of Game 5 in Oklahoma City, where if they win that game, they're up 3-2, to going back to L.A. to to potentially win Game 6 and go to the Conference Finals. So, look, Chris Paul is a great player, but Chris Paul has had multiple bad moments in the playoffs and failed to get it done in the playoffs. And in ways, uh, frankly, unlike any other player of his caliber, in recent memory, or maybe ever, gets a complete pass for it. I honestly don't really understand it because he, if, if you're going to be the guy that's going to demand the team play a certain way and play a certain style all the time and be a pretty hard guy to play with, then you better show up when it counts. And in my opinion, so far to this point in his career, he has not.
2: Well, I'll give you this. Uh, last year, certainly, that last game against the Jazz, he was terrible. Well, he yeah, has- that's another one. I that's didn't even
0: impression. think of that one. Yeah, yeah that, that was another Game 7 at home that they lost.
2: That was a meltdown last year. I mean, we can revisit the Hornets' history a little bit here, too. But, but you know, look, you're right. I mean, in terms of Chris Paul and, and Carmelo Anthony, they're grouped together because they're part of the, uh, the Banana Boat crew. And Carmelo has certainly gotten more of a bad rap than Chris Paul has in these situations. I'm looking up, and I'll get to him, some of his playoff numbers and see how they compare a little bit. Before we do, let's get to Harden here, because... Sure. Yeah, um, I
0: just wanted to say that quick. No, no, that's... Harden's Harden's quite fairly ripped for some of the way he's played in the playoffs, particularly last year.
2: Last year, and, I mean, going back to... And he was younger then, and he wasn't relied upon as much, but he was six-man of the year in 2000... What was it, 2011-12, and that series against the Heat, he was awful. I mean, that was one of the differences in that series. So you feel it's fair with Harden in terms of the way that he's played? There's some questions yeah. about how he would perform in the playoffs.
0: I think so. I think the play against the heat is kind of unfair with him because I mean, he was given the task of trying to guard like peak prime LeBron, which is kind of impossible. So if that screwed up his offense, cause he was trying to do that on defense, I could understand that more. But look, two years ago, I just talked about that comeback. The Rockets had James Harden was on the bench for that comeback. Right. And last year I was at game six in Houston when he completely melted down and uh, I was at game five and game six games at the end of game five. He failed to get them a win that would have put them up three two going back to Houston for game six. And then in game six, he had one of the worst playoffs games I've seen a star ever have in Boston with Kawhi Leonard, the Spurs team by 40 in game six. I mean, it was one of the strangest games I've ever seen. So James Harden has been the best player in the league this year. He's going to win MVP this year and deservedly so, maybe, you know, I don't think he'll win unanimously, but he's going to get the lion's share of first-place votes. And this is a huge playoffs for him, probably bigger than any other player in the league, because if they get to the conference finals and they give the Warriors a run at minimum, then I think a lot of those questions about his playoff performances will start to go away. But if they flame out earlier, which I still think is possible, by the way, that they could lose somebody before the conference finals, because they do have a lot of guys that are have had up-and-down playoff histories, then every question that's been said about him is only going to get magnified going forward. So I think that this really, this playoffs really are all about James Harden, and I, I'm very fascinated to see how this Houston team does and where it ends up. You just
1: kind of look at these guys, and they have had moments where... Again, and this is something that has probably happened to LeBron unfairly, but if LeBron does that, then that goes on the resume of all-time playoff failures that get broken down over the course of time, and I do think we have kind of market corrected for how unfairly we've treated LeBron over the course of time, that because we skewer him whenever he fails that now I think we've, t- we've started to take it a bit easier. I think James Harden has had some appalling playoff moments. I think what happened last year in that Spurs series, it makes no sense. And I mean, you look, you've, you've kind of heard like Daryl Morey interviewed, and you go, well, you would have to ask James, and it was like a combination of him being tired and him having to carry everything, but that doesn't excuse losing to that Spurs team without Kawhi Leonard by that much, I, I think all well. Oh, I, I kind of want to make excuses for D'Antoni, but I don't know if I should. But all three of these guys have had serious blemishes on their records. That if it was somebody else with perhaps a different resume or who we expected more from, we get absolutely skewered.
0: I think that's true, and I, I think you've seen Harden, you know, really get skewered for it. And that to me is more why the the Chris Paul thing is just kind of has always been confusing to me. I mean, I think when you look at you know the way. Carmelo has gotten ripped for the way his teams have done in the playoffs, and he's frankly always been on worse teams. I think when you look at the way guys like Tracy McGrady were ripped for what they did in the playoffs, for all these other guys that have been ripped, Vince Carter. I mean, a lot of these guys have gotten ripped for their playoff performances, and Chris Paul has just totally skated. And people, frankly, make
2: excuses for him. Let's move on to to part three, and uh, start with you, Tim, on this, and then we go to Chris. Let's look at the Eastern Conference. You mentioned you think Cleveland is still going to the finals and you're holding to that. So the trades that they've made, the, the purging of the roster, Kevin Love now coming back, Ty Lue's status up in the air, none of that sways you from Cleveland. I assume that's just mostly because of the way LeBron's playing.
0: Yeah, they have the world's best player on their team. I mean, you know, again, this is, this is another situation where people are very bored of the Cavs, and so they are looking for reasons not to pick them to make the finals. And... Look, I understand why people would be skeptical. Cleveland's defense is terrible. Uh, they have had issues. Uh, obviously, Ty being out of, the line, out, of, out of the situation is great. They made all the trades at the deadline. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons to look at the Cavs. And go, yeah, they're vulnerable, and, and I'm not saying they're not vulnerable. But they still have the best player in the world on their team. And if you put a gun to my head and say, "Hey, who who do you have to take in Eastern Conference to get to the finals if your life depends on it?" I'm not picking against LeBron. I mean, look at that game the other day against the Raptors. They play the Raptors. They give up 72 points in the first half. It looks like, um, it looks like the uh, like the, the Raptors are going to blow them out. And then the Cavs, with four rotation players out, with Ty Lue out there, come back and win the game in the second half. And LeBron has 35, 17, and no and no turnovers. I mean, you know, I I just don't, I don't see any team in the East beating them four times in seven games. I just don't. And you know, maybe that is hubris on my part because I just am giving putting too much stock in LeBron. But you know what? If I pick LeBron James to win and they don't win, I can live with that. Uh, I It would, to me, be much dumber if I look at a situation and say, hey, you know what? The Raptors are going to beat the Cavs this year. You know, it doesn't matter. They've gotten trucked by them multiple times in the past. Uh, and, and then for LeBron to come back and beat them in the playoffs, I would feel very stupid. So... Um, yeah, I, I, think that the Cavs are going to be back in the finals where they'll probably lose. Um, though I think they actually have a pretty good chance to beat Houston personally, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I just can't, uh, there's too much history there for me to, um, to vote against, you know, LeBron in a, in a playoff situation in the East when, there still isn't a team that I look at and go, I feel like that team can stop. Save big money now on new siding from LP Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding.
1: I am both bored and willing to be spectacularly wrong, so I'll argue the the, the, the contrary on that. The one thing, though, before I kind of get to the arguments for the other teams, or team, really, it's Toronto, but... When you look at what's happened since Kevin Love has come back, Cleveland's a good man. And and when they've been together on the floor together, plus 52 in 99 minutes as a combo. And I, I haven't gone through, I mean, it's not that hard, but the, 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 the schedules over their last three, over the last four, I always try and filter out the tanking teams. And of course, they played Brooklyn and Phoenix, so you can throw those out. But I, I, I do think that... When you look at the Toronto Raptors, there's just too much growth there from who they've been. And it's kind of been incredible that they've grown so much because it's not really too many different guys. It's been internal growth. It's been stylistic growth. And while you say that, you know, Cleveland towards the end of that game, you know, against the Raptors, you know, you know came back and, you know, made sure that even though they gave up 70 and a half, they won the game. I still think the fact that Toronto it feels like a real competitor to them, whereas it always felt in years past that once Cleveland just turned it on and once they decided to win the series, it was going to be over. I don't think that... I don't think Cleveland is in that comfortable of a, of a position now. I really think that Cleveland is going to have to play their best basketball for four out of seven games. Now, maybe we see you know, choking Toronto again when they play Milwaukee in round one or Miami in round one, and it looks the same as it ever was. But I think that Toronto has grown enough, has earned enough confidence in what they've done that we can say that Cleveland can't just feel like they can swat them aside whenever they want to.
0: No, and I'm not I'm not saying any of that as, as saying that Toronto isn't a better team this year. I mean, I, I think they very clearly are a better team. You know, I think you look at the way they've changed their style this year, uh, to shoot more threes, to move the ball more, to rely on their on their other players more. I think Dwayne Casey is deservedly going to win Coach of the Year. It'll landslide, and he should. I mean, he's done a remarkable job. And I, I, DeMar DeRozan continues to get better and has become a terrific player. And their depth's on the bench. The guys like Fred Van Vliet and Jakob Pertle and, OG Ananobi and CJ Miles. I mean, it, they've got young, interesting guys all over the place. I give Masai Jerry a lot of credit for the picks they've made. I mean, they've done a great job building that team. Uh, so this is not a knock on them, but it's, again, it's the Cavs have LeBron and the Raptors have proven unable to beat LeBron basically in any situation. And I understand how people could look at the numbers and say, yeah, the numbers say that Toronto should win that series. I totally understand that. But again, if i got to pick a team to win 4 out of 7 and LeBron is on the court on one side of the court and anybody in the East is on the other I'm taking LeBron and I, I'll live with the results.
1: And, and I think what what's happening right now is the dilemma of not seeing something, and therefore you can't sort of project that you will see it, right? So the problem with this is you kind of have to stick your neck out and go, even though I've seen Toronto be really bad in the playoffs for years now, I think they can do it. And I think the the resistance there, or the same thing with Houston against Golden State, the trust is with what your eyes have seen. And what your eyes have seen is LeBron dominating the Eastern Conference playoffs, and Golden. State dominating the Western
2: Conference playoffs. And until proven otherwise, we're just going to believe what we believe. And the other part of that is that you look at the rest of the conference and it just doesn't look like any other team is going to give LeBron a series. I mean, and you know, we know how dominant he's been in the East, but you look at the rest of the conference, I mean, you thought maybe Boston would, would actually be in a position to challenge him in a series this year. And I do say him because the surrounding parts are not all that important. At times. I mean, Kevin Love's return certainly helps, but clearly the rest of this supporting cast is is not of quite the level, at least in terms of having a third scorer that he's had in recent years. But with Boston's situation with Kyrie now and, and the burden that's been put on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to kind of carry this team, their lack of overall depth, not getting another scorer like a Tyreek Evans at the deadline, not having Marcus Smart, who's a big part of their defensive identity. You know, I'm as big a Brad Stevens fan as anybody else, but I just can't see how, unless they had a completely healthy Kyrie when they got to that series, how they even challenge him. And again, I look at the first round series and we're going to talk about some of these teams, but all of those other East teams, um, while maybe a little better record wise than we've seen in recent years, they're all flawed in some ways. So, uh, you know, Look, I picked Toronto. I was the idiot to pick Toronto to get to the finals last year. So uh, you talk about going out on a limb, and clearly Toronto is better. And I don't know that Cleveland's anywhere near as good. But I'm not quite willing to go there this year either. After what I saw last year, it's it's kind of what Chris said. It's sort of like until my own eyes see it, I, I'm not sure it's really a good idea to bet against LeBron in the East playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean LeBron is still the best player in the world, and the bottom line is the best player in the world generally wins, and Yeah, I mean, he's not going to beat a team like the Warriors, but I still think they could potentially beat the Rockets, and I do think they'd beat everybody in the East. I think they're going to have a harder road than they have in the past, but yeah, Boston is, I think, going to lose in the first round, probably with all the injuries they have. The rest of the East is not that formidable, and I think they're going to be back in the finals again, and people are going to be probably annoyed about it, but the bottom line is even as bad as their defense is, I mean, uh, you say their supporting cast isn't great. I, I agree to to a certain extent, but they are a nuclear offensive team. I think as good as any team, maybe even including Golden State and Houston in the league offensively. And so I think that that will be enough to get them back to the finals and then that lack of defense is where we'll really come into play there. And I think that's when they'll lose. But I think they do have – you know, enough firepower with, you know, with the pieces they brought in, plus with a healthy Kevin Love, who I think people have seen has already made a big difference just since he came back. I'll be very surprised if, if somebody is able to beat them, barring, you know, LeBron finally breaking down with an injury sometime before the NBA Finals.
1: So, Tim, you said that LeBron is the best player, right? And I think most people agree with that. But you said earlier that James Harden will probably be the majority vote for MVP. Why for you is that the case?
0: Well, I mean, James Harden's been the best player in the league this season. But I, I think, again, if if you're picking who is the best player, period, I, I still don't think anybody would pick against LeBron. I mean, again, just go back to that game he had against the Raptors the other day. I mean, 35-17 assists and no turnovers is unbelievable. And I, I think it kind of goes back to the playoff situation where if you look at what's happening across the league, I mean, you can have – LeBron be the best player and not win MVP, right? Like, the best player doesn't win MVP every year. Otherwise, LeBron would have won 10 MVPs in a row, and Michael Jordan would have won 10 or 11 MVPs. Instead, they, I think Jordan won five, and LeBron's won four, right? But I, I think when you look at the way this year has played out, you know, James Harden has, you know, been the best player on the best team, and, and that, that's going to get him the MVP award, and it should. He's had a remarkable year, and, and I, I he might even win unanimously. I, I don't think he will, but I don't think that that, congruence is that complicated really I think a lot of people would see that
1: well I, I it, to, to me I always find fascinating how people vote for MVP what's I, and I'll ask a question to both of you what is kind of your standard for how you vote for MVP
2: the way I always voted for it and and I'm not necessarily proud of a couple of the votes when I look back at them um, was was sort of the impact on that particular season for that reason I agree with Tim's premise there that LeBron is still the best player when he's as engaged as he was with that 35-17-0 game. He's still the best player in the world. I don't think there's any question. And in some ways, uh, he's more efficient than he's ever been. But in terms of this season, uh, who's had the most impact on a team that has, as we've talked about, 39-2 and two with their top three players playing the Houston Rockets? You'd have to give it to Harden this year. Now, I look back at a couple of votes. Like, for instance, uh, the first year that LeBron was in Miami, 2010-2011, You know, I voted for Derrick Rose. I had LeBron second and Dwight Howard third. If I could do it again, I mean, it's not just the benefit of hindsight of seeing what happened to Rose's career, but actually sort of digging into the numbers a little bit more after the fact and what Rose's on/off numbers actually were that year and his impact defensively, which was not positive. I probably would have voted. For LeBron, but I voted for Rose, and I think in retrospect I may have done that because I was covering LeBron every day, and maybe there was a little bit of trying not to be a homer in there when I made that vote. But th- there are a couple of votes that I might have taken back, but that's generally how I did it. Tim,
0: yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think I think a lot of people do it the way Ethan does. Where I mean, it's like I said before. I mean, I think it's not the best player in the league award. If it was the best player in the league award, LeBron would win every year. It's the most viable player, and a lot of times. That comes back to, you know, how that season individual season played out. I, I think a lot of people in the future are gonna regret this Russell Westbrook decision last year. But I thought that was I did not think he was the MVP of the league. I thought people got caught up on him averaging a triple double and gave a damn. I, I thought Kawhi Leonard was the best was the MVP of the league. I think him or Harden both were more deserving than Westbrook, personally. And I think when you look at what the Spurs have done uh, this year without Kawhi, I think it's it's pretty easy to see that's the case. So yeah, I, I look at you know each individual season, and who I think has been the most valuable player to a team's success. And Ethan laid out the case pretty clearly. I think this year it's it's very obviously James Harden with the way he's played and the way the Rockets have played because of him.
1: Okay, so let's move now to the next thing we want to hit on point four here, and we kind of want to pick out the most dangerous teams in either conference outside of the favorites. So we'll start first with the Eastern Conference of the teams that are most likely to do it. Tim, we'll start with you between Philly. Indiana, Washington, Milwaukee, and Miami. Who's most likely to either pull off an upset or make a run that we didn't anticipate?
0: Well, Washington, clearly. I mean, that that's a team that has playoff experience. Assuming John Wall's healthy, of course. But that's a team with playoff experience. It's got you know an elite backcourt and John Wall and Bradley Beal. If any of those teams are going to make a run, it's going to be the Wizards. I mean, I, I think the Sixers have the potential to, but they haven't done it before. And the playoffs are a whole new ball game and. I think teams will be able to neutralize some of their weaknesses over a seven-game series as those guys get used to what it's like to be in the postseason. So I think, you know, assuming John Wall is healthy, if I had to pick one of those teams, I'm definitely picking the Wizards to, to potentially make a run.
2: Ethan, same question? I would look at the Wizards too, but but I think a real dark horse here, and I know they've been a mess this year and they actually have a negative point differential right now, uh, but the Bucks, in a short series, their length and having the guy who against a lot of these teams, uh, it would be the best player on the court. I think could be a potential upset there. And, again, you mentioned earlier, Tim, Boston, that you think they're vulnerable. Well, right now they're in the two spot and Milwaukee's in the seven. And so could the Bucks win a series against a Boston team with Kyrie not 100% or not in the lineup and, again, no smart and some of the other injuries that they have right now? I think that's certainly possible, you know, that the Bucks could pull that off, even though I, I do think this is a transitional year for them uh, with the heat. Again, they would have to get into the seventh spot for me to have a chance. I, I can't see them having any chance against Toronto or Cleveland. They played Boston pretty well this year as it is. But, you know, again, with the heat, it's they have about 12 players that they play and they don't have one guy that they, they necessarily can go to all the time, obviously, with Dwayne being 36. So I would say Washington. But I think Milwaukee could pull a two seven upset over Boston.
1: Mine would be Philly because you say that they're a year away, but I think very often when you, we kind of do math on the playoffs, and Tim, you kind of gave voice to it by saying that you know the Cavs have LeBron. Well, you know Philly doesn't have anything particularly close to LeBron. If you're kind of stacking them up against Toronto, for instance, and you say Simmons and Embiid against Lowry and DeRozan, I, don't, I mean, I mean, to me that's kind of a wash. So I do think that. By virtue of having these kind of outstanding talents, they have by far, for me, I wouldn't say by far when you compare it to Wall and Beal, but they're on the level with Wall and Beal in terms of having outstanding superstar talents. Are they young? Are they inexperienced? Without question. But I think their ceiling as a team, and what Embiid can do to single-handedly influence a game, I think we've seen him be able to hang at the very highest level since he's kind of been healthy and, and gotten a regular run a game. So I wouldn't put it past Philly to, to maybe get on a run here and surprise some people. All right, and now as for the Western Conference, outside of Houston and Golden State, there are eight teams that are competing to get into the postseason. It's actually a really fascinating race down at the bottom of the conference, just one loss separating four and eight. But when you look at Portland, who's been incredible of late, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, San Antonio, Minnesota, Utah, and then just on the edge, Denver and the Clippers. Ethan, I'll start with you this time. Who for you is the team that is most likely to kind of get on a run here?
2: Well, I, I would have to say Oklahoma City. just And again, I know that's a pedigree thing, but I look at the rest of these teams, and I, great credit to what Portland's done and what their backcourt's done lately and the way Nurkic has played. So I don't want to overlook them. You know They played better defensively of late, too, and we, we know that that backcourt can carry them. But I look at the rest of the teams beyond those two. You know Again, they're all missing somebody, or a lot of them are missing somebody. I mean, New Orleans Davis has been great, but... The loss of Cousins hurts them when it comes to the playoffs. San Antonio, I don't know how Pop's gotten 43 wins out of that roster, frankly, without Kawhi. Utah's been, you know, great as you say of late. They found a formula that works, and I think they could be a really annoying opponent for somebody. But I don't know if they can again against Houston or Golden State if they end up in seven or eight. I can't see them winning around. But Oklahoma City is is the one. I, Carmelo is not Carmelo anymore. Paul George has had some up-and-down periods this season. But just having those three guys available to you in a series, and and I think, you know, look, losing their perimeter stopper and Roberson has mattered, but Corey Brewer's done a pretty good job filling in for him. So at least they've gotten a little of that they had before. So I, I would still have to say the Thunder would be the one team out West that could make a run other than the top two.
1: Yeah, and I think health kind of plays a role too in terms of, you know, who we're going to see because if Minnesota all of a sudden gets Jimmy Butler back, then you kind of feel like they can, you know, probably win a series and give one of those top teams another good one. But I, I think at the moment, I'd probably say Portland. And I, I understand that it's kind of another Toronto like thing where they have to do it in order for us to believe it. But I mean, that run that they just went on, just ripping through the league, pulling off a double digit win streak, they're the only team right now that isn't really experiencing ups and downs. I mean, other than Utah, who's kind of needed this, you know, incredible run of games in order to just get in, I think what Portland. Portland's done, and they have kind of those two guys that you trust in the backcourt in Lillard, in Lillard and McCollum and in kind of a league that's becoming more guard-centric. I, I, I trust Portland. But as we move now into the final thing we wanted to cover with you, Tim, tonight we're posting this on a Tuesday morning. So tonight the Heat are facing the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we've talked plenty about LeBron James over the course of this podcast, but something that kind of, I've kind of talked about this in other contexts. Like for example, we talked a lot about Colin Kaepernick and then we kind of just sort of shrugged our shoulders when the whole league season went by and he never got picked up by a team, but with LeBron James, I think you know there's been enough distance between him and Miami that it's not really part of the conversation anymore. But four years on from making the decision to go back to Cleveland, uh, where do you kind of view that from a legacy point of view and from the overall decision that he made in, in going, going back to Cleveland?
0: Oh, I, I don't think anybody can argue it was the right decision, if for no other reason than he won the title in 2016 people in Miami aren't going to like to hear this, but the championship in Cleveland is what everyone's going to remember him for. Like if his career ended today, that's what people, that'd be the first thing people said. So LeBron went back to Cleveland and he ended a more than 50 year championship drought for that city. That was worth four more championships probably uh, in a random place, you know? So I think that going back there, winning that title I mean, the funny thing about LeBron going back to Cleveland is I'm fairly confident in saying that when LeBron decided to go back to Cleveland, he was not anticipating being in this position in 2018 where there was people talking about him potentially leaving again. But the Warriors exploding onto the scene in a way, frankly, I don't think any other team has in NBA history going from a you know solid, very good team to dominant force in the league without really changing anything other than the coach, the fact that the Warriors became a supernova kind of threw everything into chaos. And the combination of that and the cap spike, you know, sending Durant to Golden State, all the other ripple effects it's had from there, has him in a position where he might leave. I don't think that LeBron wrote that letter with Lee and SI thinking that, all right, I'm going to go to Cleveland and four years later I might leave again. I don't think that was ever in the cards. And I think at this point, if it wasn't for that – He probably would have, even if it was for the cap spike, maybe he has a couple championships or they're they're right there with the Warriors and some of these other teams, and you know, it, it doesn't look like they're a million miles away. And at that point, Kyrie Irving's probably still on the team, and a lot of things are probably different. But when you look at what LeBron has done in Cleveland and getting back to the finals three more times, getting that championship most importantly, I don't see how you can look at it as anything other than an unqualified success for him to get that third title, to break that that record and kind of burnish his, his legacy was something that people will always remember from for.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, um, getting the one championship, that was the goal of going back. And I agree with Tim in, in this sense. I don't think when he went back, he thought he would ever be leaving again. I do believe he thought it was forever when he went back there. Now, I will say this. If he'd stayed in Miami, and again, we didn't see Golden State coming necessarily. And I mean, if you remember the 2013-14 season, the way that the Spurs played in that finals that looked like the best brand of basketball we were ever going to see, right? Like yep. they were, they were yep. unbelievable in that finals. And, and like you said, Golden state came from what is sort of a strange place to come from in the modern NBA, which is that they came from the middle uh, to ascend to where they got to. So look, if he stays in Miami, I, I don't know how Riley rebuilds that thing. We can have a lot of conversations about if they had added Paul Gasol and Kyle Lowry was in the mix, but, but clearly that roster had aged. Uh, it was going to be difficult To turn over. It was already clear that the Heat really didn't want to pay luxury tax too, or at least that led to the the Mike Miller amnesty the the year before LeBron left. So there were going to be some questions with Miami. The one thing I will say though, although clearly, you know, he improved his legacy by winning the one championship in Cleveland, it, it probably meant more than winning two more in Miami. He would have had a lot less headaches, I think, if he'd stayed in Miami. Like the whole process in Cleveland, I mean, if you just look and we talk about the drama that he dealt with in Miami. But all of that came from the outside. That was all media created for the most part. I mean, yes, there were a couple things like bump gate and a couple of other things that LeBron said that got him in trouble. But for the most part, it was the outside forces that were pushing against that team. And that team was pretty together and pushing back. Cleveland has been a different story. Like I was up there that first year in Cleveland and that team was getting a free pass compared to what the Miami team dealt with that I covered the first year that LeBron was with the heat in 2010 and they kept creating their own controversies. Um, the David Blatt thing, the Kevin Love fit in, fit out all this stuff. Kyrie's knee. I remember was an issue during that first playoff run. Then going forward, the the situation between, you know, Blatt getting fired, Lou coming in, you know, the situation between LeBron and Kyrie that led to Kyrie's departure, the turnover of the entire roster, all of that stuff, the Cavs have kind of created, the instability of the organization, David Griffin getting pushed out by Dan Gilbert. So I think he would have had a much more stable existence if he'd stayed in Miami than going to Cleveland. I think he might have had a little bit more peace of mind than he's had in Cleveland, where it seems like there's something that's created inside that organization all the time. But at the same time, I do agree with you, Tim, that at least winning the one title there added something to his legacy that probably two more titles in Miami would not have done.
1: Really appreciate you doing this. Again, you can check out Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S.
0: Sick of being upsold at gyms?